0: So the, the Bible's on the tables, page 566. So, <clears throat> so we're going to start in verse uh, 54 to 56. Uh, so we're, we're, like I said, we're going to be jumping around this text a little bit. So just follow, follow along. Hopefully the, the guide sheet there will tell you where we're going. Um, but essentially what we're looking at tonight is that we need to be able to understand our times. Um, and there's a number of things about our times that we need to understand. We need to understand what our lives are about, we need to understand our sin, and we need to understand who Jesus is. And so these are the concepts that Jesus is challenging the crowds with uh, in, in our chunk of scripture today. So the first thing I want to point out is, is in verse uh, 54 to 56 uh, of chapter 12, he says this to them. He said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say it once, a shower is coming and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Um, I thought this was just amazing because uh, it's, it's true even today, right? Like we can look around at our, uh, our sciences and at our news organizations and all these people, and we are really actually proud of the observations that we're able to make if you if you take a step back and look at it in fact there's one whole genre of entertainment called comedy and basically all they're doing is pointing out funny observations and you know basically becoming famous by the observations that they, they can make about culture and about life uh, and so we, we become proud about the observations we make and just the same same way in nature as these individuals were able to look at the, the weather patterns and you know the clouds in the sky and how the wind was blowing and determine how things were going to happen, uh, they were proud that they were able to do that and and even today we look with huge telescopes out at vast uh, vast space and, and determine that you know this asteroid or whatever is going to barely pass Earth at this particular time and we don 't have to worry because we 've calculated it appropriately and all this sort of thing and we 're proud of our ability to say, look, you know this is how things are working and uh, people become famous based on their, their observations. Christy and I were watching uh, a, a PBS documentary, which we do, so that makes us dorks or old, or I'm not really sure what that makes us, but uh, we're, we we watched PBS uh, uh, broadcasts a number of times, and one we were working, looking at was about telescopes, the development of telescopes. And it was interesting because every time they would find, like, a new, you know, star out there or or some new, new, uh, you know, space concept. I'm not really sure. Not very constellation, constellation. you know, whatever it is, uh, they would find these things. And the person that found it, they talked as if this person like created it almost. And we, you know, we know they didn't, but the way they were speaking about the individuals that were making the discoveries were like, you know, this person, this is their star, you know, and like, they're the ones that found it. So it's theirs. And it's like, you know, actually... They just took a piece of glass and mirror and they observed it. And God actually put it there, you know. And so we're proud of our observation. But the reality is, you know, we're just making observations. But our God is the one that actually put the things there. Um, So Jesus is calling them out for this. He says, "You, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of things. You can observe well and that's all fine and good. But you have no idea what's happening in your present time. And like I mentioned before, you know, Jesus is he's going from, uh, you know, Galilee to Jerusalem. He's making this journey. It's his last, you know, journey to Jerusalem. And so, you know, how significant we can look back 2000 years and know how significant this time is that he's interacting with these individuals. This is the crux of humanity. You know, this is the, the most important event of history is about to unfold before them and you know they're just proud that they can determine that there's going to be a storm coming but they have no idea the time that they're living in they don't realize that and the amazing thing is is, you know truthfully if we were there we would also be oblivious you know we wouldn't wouldn't have got it We wouldn't have understood but jesus has been so faithful to show his authority and his power demonstrate you know his ability to forgive sins he's actually even told them that he's going to go to the cross and die like he is really laying some stuff out there about himself, and they're, just, they're missing it. They're not understanding the magnitude of the moment. And so he calls them out and says, you know how to interpret these amazing things. You know how to judge this stuff, but you don't know how important a time you're really living in. You don't realize how important it is. And the same is true for us. Uh, the fact is that, you know, again, we're able to make these great observations, but the truth is, we're living in a very important time. Every time of the Lord's, you know, the Lord's creation is important. He's got a purpose for each of us in the spiritual. And so we have to be aware of that, that there's a spiritual reality, something that we're, we need to be involved in, uh, and we need to understand what that is. And so, you know, tonight as we look at these three things that we're supposed to understand about our times, you know, I think they function to help us understand what we're supposed to do in our time. If we understand our lives and understand our sin and understand our Lord, we then know what it is we're supposed to do with our lives, how we're supposed to serve Him with them. So, um, the first thing that we are supposed to understand about our times is our lives, and we find find a little insight into this in chapter thirteen, verses one to five. So, let me read this passage for you, and then we'll dissect it and and tell tell you what what where I'm going going for what what I'm going for here. Um, verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 1 says this. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent and, and we'll all li- uh, you will all likewise perish, Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You know, here's two uh, very important events of, of tragic suffering and even death at times. And people are asking, you know, Jesus, what do you think about these Galileans whose blood was mixed, you know, by Pilate? And Jesus basically says, you know, you're trying to, you know, you know pin me as they, as they usually do. Um, but the truth is that, you know, these people's sins that died in this tragic manner, it wasn't any worse than anybody else's. What's, what's, what Jesus is conveying to us about our lives is that our lives are fragile. You know, we, we, there are many, many ways that we could suffer or even die in this life. And we have to realize that, that that's the reality that we live in. We live in a world where, you know, we're fragile. We're, we can be broken at, at any moment. Um, you know, Christina, I, I was laughing on our way over here uh, because when I came to put up the sign, this lady uh, was driving her minivan over um, down this, down Fort Harrison. And I heard this raging noise down the street. It sounded like a helicopter. Uh, but as she was approaching in her minivan, I realized that her tire had blown out. And so she was just driving on it down the road. And, you know, after that, I'm crossing the road or whatever. I mean, I'm thinking, like, you know, who knows what that thing's going to do. You know, you can lose control of that a lot easier when you're blowing that out. I mean, you know, she could have hopped the curb and run me over. Like, who knows? And, you know, so our lives are, are fragile. You know, we could be hurt at any moment. Uh, and I think that's what Jesus is trying to point out to us. Um, and so there's a couple things that we can analyze in, in these verses. First, Pilate. He, you know, he says... Uh, they say that Pilate had mingled the Galileans' blood uh, in these sacrifices. So basically, Pilate had had taken these Galileans and and used their blood to to make these sacrifices. And, uh, you know, apparently people looked down on those Galileans, you know, that somehow maybe they had sinned more. And that's why they deserved this, you know, this sort of torture that, that Pilate was dishing out on him. And, you know, the truth is, that's not, you know, Jesus said, no, that's not true. These were, they were not worse sinners than the rest of the Galileans. You know, what was happening here was that they live under a regime that was abusing its power. And that was just the reality, you know, that they were living in a situation where, you know, someone could come in and cause suffering in your life because of their abuse of authority. And the truth is that we can identify with that. Like, we live in an age where if someone were to abuse their authority, they could cause suffering in our lives. That's just the reality. And, you know, that could be either in family, that could be at work, that could be at school, that could be, you know, in government. You know, the truth is that there are people that have position and authority over us, and were they to abuse it, suffering would be caused to us. And that doesn't mean that we're somehow, you know, greater sinners because, you know, this person abused their authority. It just means that someone abused their authority, and that's the world we live in, you know? Um, And so, so one, we live in a world where people abuse their authority, and that causes people to, to suffer, you know, in an unjust manner. Um, And so, that's the first thing. And the second thing is, he points out this tower in Siloam that fell, and it, and when it fell, it, it killed 18 people, and that's tragic. I mean, it's, you know it's a tower like it's not supposed to fall you know it was built to stand and it fell and killed people and you know so this is basically you know there wasn't any uh, any malice on anybody's part it's just you know they didn't they didn't know how to build it very well and it and it fell you know I I don't know if if a storm caused it or if it was just it was poor craftsmanship they didn't know how to build the thing or, or what didn't have didn't give us that detail but the thing fell and we see that all the time in our world. We see natural disasters and all sorts of stuff happening. And the, the caution that Jesus gives us is just because something happens that's, you know, a tragic event to a particular area of our country or whatever, we can't then say, well, they must be, like, worse sinners than the rest of us. No, it's just we live in a broken world, you know? When, when Adam fell and took, you know, Adam and Eve took of the apple, you know, they disobeyed God and, and the world is broken now. And so we have, you know, we have storms and, and earthquakes and, you know, meteorites falling out of the sky. And, you know, I mean, the truth is we live in a fragile environment, right? And just because someone is tragically injured or hurt because of one of those events, doesn't mean that those individuals are worse sinners. It just means we live in a fragile world. So, so two things, we can be, you know, our lives are fragile, right? And they can be, we can be hurt by people who abuse the authority and we can be hurt by natural disasters, it, and it doesn't mean that we're worse sinners because of that. It just means that that's the world we live in, and we have to be aware of our fragile nature. Uh, the truth is that, you know, we are sinners as well, and that you know, leads, in, leads into our next point. We shouldn't judge other people because of the way they died or what happened to them. Um, we are all just, just as much sinners as anybody else. So... Uh, the second thing that we need to understand in our time is that uh, we need to understand our own sin. Um, Romans 3.23 says this, and you may know it, uh, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to be reminded of that. Uh, we're all sinners and, uh, and we're in need of God's grace. Um, Luke 12 verses 57 to 59 talk about uh, this idea that we, all, we need to understand and grapple with our sin it says this, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you off to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never, pay, never you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. <clears throat> the truth is, our sin has consequences. Uh, Our sin has consequences for people around us, um, and our sin has consequences for ourselves. Um, You know, when 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 a husband is hateful to his wife, uh, the the consequence of the husband's sin is that the wife doesn't feel loved and she doesn't respect the husband. That relationship is broken in a way. So our sin doesn't just like it's not like we're individuals and our sin doesn't affect anybody else and we just keep it to ourselves and it's mine to resolve our sin affects those around us. So when we're disobeying God or uh, you know, not following the way that He has laid out for us to follow, it's going to affect those around us. We don't live in a bubble. We live connected to other individuals. And so when we break the, the promises that God has laid out for us to live in, um, that's going to affect people around us. They're, they're going to be hurt by, uh, by our sin. And so our, our sin has consequences for the, those around us, and most tragically, it has consequences for us. The truth is, when we sin, we're separated from God. When we disobey the the, uh, the rules that God has laid out for this world to, uh, to love one another and to love God with all of our strength. You know, We're breaking what God has set out for us to do, and that pre- creates a divide between us and God. There's only one way for that to, uh, to be settled. We have to... Uh, we have to, you know, as Luke is saying in this verse, you know, it's like we're going before a judge at the end of our life. And there's only one way to settle our debt to this judge, and that's through Jesus. That's the only way we can settle the debt that we owe because of our sin is, is to, is, is to uh, trust our, entrust our lives to the Lord. In uh, Romans 6.23, just walking down the Romans road here, basically, uh, it says this, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we have to understand our lives. We're, we're fragile. We live in a fragile environment. Our, you, know, you know Natural disasters can happen. People abusing their authority can happen and cause us suffering and pain and even death. Um, and we have to understand our own sin. All of us are, are sinners, and we can try and level out the sin, as much, well I don't sin as much as that guy and he sins more than me or whatever we can try and put levels to it all we want but the truth is we're all broken and, uh, and separated from God and without Christ we're hopeless so um, we have to understand our own sin and the final thing we have to understand is our Lord and this is probably uh, the best part of this, the best part of this, this whole uh, passage is, is that our God cares for us And we see that in verse 49 to 53. 49 to 53 says this, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. It's kind of hard to see (laughs) exactly how God is caring in that, but the truth is, as we'll see, God is very caring in this. He has provided for us through Christ, and uh, it's demonstrated clearly through this passage. So uh, let's walk through it. The first thing Jesus says is, that I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. You know, the first image in my head that I get uh, is like judgment from the Lord that this, this fire is going to come and we're all going to be, I don't know, consumed by it. And, you know, just pain and suffering is essentially the, the, the image that I get. But we know that that's not, not why Jesus came. Actually, he, he came uh, to, to give life to individuals and, um, he, this, this fire that he's wishing were already kindled is, is not destruction of man. It's actually a renewal of man through his church. And uh, you know, the, the truth is we know about a fire that uh, when it starts, it can start from just a small spark. You know, uh, And if, if, the, if the, uh, the grass is, is tender enough and the spark is there, that thing can erupt and go crazy. And that's exactly what happened with the church. Jesus is looking forward to this great expansion of his kingdom uh, through his disciples' work. And so, you know, he says, I came to cast this fire on the earth and wood that were already kindled. He is looking forward to this time when the kingdom is expanding greatly and going forward boldly in the world. He's seeking that this fire would start and uh, this fire is the church. And, you know, it's an encouragement to us is that uh, even, in, even in small settings, God always works uh, from very small situations to create big, amazing things. He worked with these 12 disciples, and, and after he was raised, he, uh, he filled them with the Holy Spirit. And, and as they preached, 3,000 were saved in the, in the first day. And the movement just spread and spread and spread. Until now, we see billions of people claiming the name of Christ. You know, This is a fire that, that started with Christ. And the same thing is, uh, is true for us. And you know, we see in, in the book of Luke that uh, when, we're, when we're looking at John the Baptist, you know, I guess that was back in March, um, about a year ago, uh, he gives, Luke lays out the, the political and religious um, time of the day. He says, you know, uh, Cephas was reigning as the high priest and, uh, and this was this current structure in, in Rome. And at the end of it, he says, and in the desert... John the Baptist was given the word of the Lord. He said, despite all these amazing things that we see maybe going around in the world, God is working in corners and crevices all across the earth to expand his kingdom and to show his glory in the world. And his his kingdom is going forward like a fire. Um, And that's what Jesus is hoping for. He said, I come to start this fire and would that it would already be kindled. He was hoping for this to happen to have begun already. The next thing he says is this, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. We know that, uh, we know that this probably isn't his, his being immersed in water again, but, but rather his uh, going to the cross and giving his life on the cross. And one, one reason that we're able to know that very clearly is that 1 Peter actually uh, tells us explicitly that, that there's a connection between uh, Christ's death on the cross and, and baptism. He says in uh, 1 Peter, verses 20 to 22, When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was still being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Our baptism is identification with Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what Christ is looking forward to. But he looks forward to it with distress because we know this is going to be the most painful time in his life, spiritually, emotionally, physically. This is going to be the most painful Powerful moment in his life, and he's distressed about its coming because of the great pain that he's going to endure. He looks forward to this baptism with great distress, but he's ready for it to happen. He wishes it would just be here and be done. Um, You know, I think there's uh, a good example of this. My uh, my mom is soon to have hip surgery, and you know, hip surgery is good because it helps your mobility, and you can look forward to the time when you have better mobility. You know, but always when you're going into a surgery, you're thinking, you know, the worst could happen or you're concerned about what might happen. And, and you know, that's, this, that's actually the situation that she's in now. She's got her, her hip surgery uh, is scheduled for a particular date, but she's anxious. She's anxious about, you know, subjecting your body to surgery. And, and uh, you know, the truth is that she can look forward to uh, the benefits of this surgery and, and able to endure this anxiety that she's going through before, beforehand. And that's, I, I feel like that's a good connection between what Jesus is going through. He's looking forward to this joy that is set before him, as Hebrews 1: and uh, 12 sorry. Hebrews 12:1 to 2 says, He's looking forward to the joy that's set before him, and so he's going to endure the cross, gladly uh, to, to restore us to God the Father. Hebrews 12:1 and2. We can look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our Lord. Isn't that awesome? Verses 49 and 50 just demonstrate that His desire is to see His kingdom spread throughout the earth, to see many people restored to His, uh, to His Father. And he's distressed about what He has to do. He has to give up His life. He has to sacrifice His body physically on the cross, in the worst death he could possibly have, and, and he's looking forward to this happening. He's ready for it to happen and be done, but he's only able to do it because he sees the joy that's ahead of him, that he's going to be with the Father, the right hand of God, in, in full joy, that he's going to restore all these people to the Father in this. What a beautiful thing that Christ would endure that, that, so that we could be restored to the Father. That's our Lord. That's why this is such a loving passage is that this is the message that we have to respond to. Christ has laid himself out there as the Son of God. He's told his disciples that he must die, and he's told them that you guys must follow my lead. He's demonstrated his authority to them throughout the book of Luke. We've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him, uh, we've, we've seen him answer prayer. We've seen him heal people of diseases and, and cure and remove demons from people. Like He has shown his authority. He has shown that he is the Son of God. He has forgiven people's sins. And no one can do that except God. And and his call to the disciples is to follow him. So why does this passage talk about division? It says, Jesus, after saying this, says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I have come rather for division. The truth is, whenever we state a claim about something... You know, we're going to divide people. You know, we just had the Super Bowl a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, if you're a San Francisco fan, then you're going to be hated by Baltimore fans. And if you're a Baltimore fan, you're going to be hated by San Francisco fans. There's no way of getting around it. When we have a statement out there, people are going to respond to that. And it's going to create division. Whenever we make a statement, you can either accept that statement from an individual or you can reject it. And the truth is, Christ is... Stated a ton about himself through the scripture and we see that like he like had just said he's the son of God he must die we must follow him our only reconciliation with the father is through him those are truth claims that we must respond to and that the world must respond to we can either accept them or reject them and the reality of that is that it creates division not peace among men it does create peace among us and God while it creates division between men, it creates peace between us and God. So, if we're to understand our times, again, we must understand our lives. We're fragile. We can be broken at, at any moment. You know, a, a car could slip off the road and, and get me or, or whatever. We, you know, someone in authority could abuse their power and cause suffering in my life. We're fragile individuals. You know, a Apparently, a meteorite could fall out of the sky and make a sound burst that would shoot glass at me, and then I would die. Like, that's the world we live in. You know, these things, we're in a fragile world, and we can, we can uh, be tormented by these things at any moment. We have to understand that we have sin, that we have to reconcile. We're going to go before a judge at some point. Whenever that method by which we, we perish happens, and it will happen, we're going to go before God the Father, and we, we're going to have to state our case. Because we're guilty. And the only way we're going to pass that judgment is if we've placed our faith in Christ Jesus as our Savior. So we have to understand our time. We have to understand our lives. We have to understand our sin. But we should be filled with joy because we can understand our Lord. I want to close with this passage from Ephesians that, that speaks to the fact that Christ, though he, he, though he caused division among men, He has brought peace between us and God. It's from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. And afterward, I'll I'll close in prayer. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it challenges us and convicts us. We thank you that it gives life to us, Lord. Lord, help us to be aware of the times. Help us to know that our lives are fragile. But help us also, also to know, God, that they're in your hand. We have placed ourselves in the hands of Christ before you, God, as Christians. And if you haven't, God, I plead with you, trust Christ. He has shown himself to be the Son of God. He has shown himself to be faithful. He understands our circumstance. He sympathizes with us. And he has provided a way to be restored to the Father. Lord, we pray that you would help us trust you each day. Help us not to worry about meteors and natural disasters and and abuse of authority. God, you are above those things. You have restored us to God the Father. We don't even have to worry about those things anymore. While the world rages and concerns itself with all this stuff, God, this anxiety, we can rest in Christ because he is our peace. Thank you, God, for all this. In Christ's name, Amen. amen. <clears throat> Nate, would you mind come to lead one more song, the maybe "Mighty to Save" and.